there, and you're very welcome to a sort of radio programme presented by me, Patrick Doyle. Especially for you, wherever you might be today. Now, as the host of the If I May Quote Myself, well-researched and highly entertaining affair that is the Sunday Breakfast Show, I can guarantee you a programme that features no mention whatsoever of Anglo-Saxon burial grounds. Ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax and enjoy the programme. Good morning. I do trust you've had a rather nice week. Well, I thought as a way for you to connect with me that I'd tell you a little bit about my week. On Monday, I had a big audition for a new production of Macbeth here in Dublin. It's a new take on the Bard's classic play where Macbeth doesn't actually kill King Duncan. Instead, he kills chickens. So that Monday afternoon, I went to meet the director... And he greeted me by saying, Well, Patrick, we want you to play Macbeth. Yes, the chicken killer. A murderer most foul. (laughs) Now, as for Wednesday, oh my goodness. At 3.30am in the morning, I woke up in a cold sweat. Yes, there was a ghost at my bedside table. It was all rather terrifying. He was claiming to be the ghost of Henry Ford. But I knew he was lying. Oh, I could just see right through him. Yes, now, after my ghostly visit, after my ghostly visit, after my ghostly visit, I took it gently for two days. I mean, especially after all of that. But then on Friday, I took my birthday cake to see a psychologist. Now, this psychologist is a dear, dear friend which meant that he was quite happy to see this birthday cake of mine, who I felt was just feeling a little bit crummy. (laughs) And on Saturday, I treated myself to an afternoon of me time. Yes, in my favourite armchair, right by the fire, reading Moby Dick. Oh, I had a whale of a time. Well, there you go. Just a little insight into my week. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, you may not be aware of this, but as well as this programme, I also make radio documentaries. They appear on this very network, and I thought I'd share with you a recently edited version of a report that I was doing on the link between Countryside Trees and 1970s disco in Philadelphia. Oh yes, there is a link. And this very documentary got to the heart of it. Now, I just recorded it. I didn't edit it. So I must tell you, I am looking forward to hearing this. I do hope you enjoy Doyle's documentary. Hello, and you join me here in the heart of the Wicklow countryside as I ponder how this tree that I'm looking at right now, glorious oak tree, played a pivotal part in the emergence of disco in Philadelphia in the 1970s. You know, as I touch this tree right now, I can't help but... Oh my oh dear God almighty! Ah! Oh. 
I thought you might like to play a little game at home. Yes, get those nearest and dearest, closer to the wireless. I wonder which one of you will get this right. It is the family-friendly game of What's the Funnier Sound? And I'm your host, Patrick Doyle. Sound effect number one. Or sound effect number two. Compound fracture. So which sound effect do you at home find the funniest? Answers to be written on a postcard and sent to Dublin City FM addressed to the Sunday Breakfast Show. Because there is no better day than Sunday to try and figure out what's the funnier sound. Oh yes, and actually, whilst I have you, I thought I would reveal to you this morning's feature of no great consequence. It is really public service broadcasting. How long does it take to watch paint dry? Well, this is a loaded question. If you're watching oil-based paint, you'd be looking at six to eight hours. If you were painting, ah, well, you might have to wait another 24 hours to do a recoat. Now, as for latex paint, well, it is dry to touch in an hour, so you'd only be looking at it for one hour, and you could safely recoat it in four hours. I hope that helps. Regular listeners to the programme just come a little bit closer to the wireless. Oh, you wouldn't believe who I met during the week. I was off on my morning stroll on Tuesday, just minding my own business as I went into the shop, and guess who was behind the counter? Okay, what's in here? Well, I'll take that tinfoil, actually, now that I'm here, and... Oh, yes! Oh, chocolate bar, I'll take one of those. Ah, Miles! Miles, hello, how are you? Hello there, Patrick. Good afternoon to you. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. I didn't know you worked in here. Oh, I do, yeah, well, I don't really. I just... But I'm just doing a favour for a pal of mine, a buddy of mine, you know, Ah. covering in a a shift. It's good to see that you're in this shop, and I didn't know you you were in the area. How much is that all, Miles, going to cost me? How much is that all now there? Let me just uh, let me just count it up there. I'm just getting used to the prices now. There's a what is it? You have a chocolate bar, yes. tin foil. Ah, yeah, tin foil. Yeah. Do you know you can make a lovely sound effect with that in your radio show? Tin foil. Yeah, you'd believe. You see what they used to use it for would be great. You could pretend that there was all sorts of eruptions going on above in the heavens. Do you know what I mean, Patrick? Right. Maybe you could put that in your radio show. Yes, yes. Miles, you're wearing a lovely brown coat, by the way. I've never seen you in anything like this before. Well, this is this is the coat now that would have been worn in my day when I, when I owned the shop. I used to, I owned a sweet shop up in the Liberties and this was the kind of coat that you'd wear and it still, it still fits me, Patrick. You know, I put on a wee, I put on a wee bit of weight now in the lockdown and all that, but I, I tell you, it still fits fantastic. Yeah, did you meet anyone famous when you were working in the sweet shop? Anyone famous? Oh God, I would have met all sorts of people, yeah, I would have met, um, would have met Michael Collins was a regular he used to pop in really on a regular basis he used to come in and try and hit me up for information you know he wasn't a fan of sweets 
people know about Michael Collins was he hated the crown, but he hated sweets almost as much, you know. Yeah, you hurry up, you hurry up hated them. Sorry, Miles, there's someone behind me telling me to hurry up. Yes, okay, madam. Goodness sake, leave me alone. I'll be gone in a moment. Honestly, Miles. Oh, you don't worry there now, Patrick. I'll, I'll deal with this now. Mrs. Borges, would you ever mind? I'm just talking to this young lad. If you want, if you want, you can pay me next week for that. I'll put it, you can have it on tick. Right, Bananas and, and whatever, is it? Yeah. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right, yeah, good luck to you now. See you later. Sorry about that, Pat. No, if he could have got rid of sweets out of Ireland um, instead of the crown, he would, he would, well, it's a close second, I'd say, sweets to the crown, you know. Right. Hated them, absolutely hated them. Miles, as always, pleasure to talk to you, and I'm um, sure, no doubt, I'll be seeing you around again. Oh, of course, Patrick, and, and say hello to the, those radio fellas the next time you see them, will you? I will, of course. Have a nice day, Miles. See you later. Bye. And to you, bye, good bye. day to you now. Bye. Good day. Bye. Bye. Whilst I have you here with me, I thought I would read to you some correspondence that I received on Thursday. It is always lovely to receive letters. I probably imagine this is the last radio programme here in Ireland that still does receive regular letter correspondence. Let's see what this listener wants, who goes by the name of Benedict. Yes, indeed, like the previous Pope, although it wasn't actually the previous Pope who wrote in. Yes, I'm, I'm sure you already deciphered that one. I don't suppose you could help me, Patrick, with a particular issue I'm having with regards to volcanoes? Let me think about it. Hmm. Oh, all right then, fine. Benedict goes on to say, and again, it isn't the previous Pope, I fear I'm part of the population who call composite volcanoes... Composite volcanoes. Whilst commentators at the National Broadcaster, RTE, call them stratovolcanoes. What do I do? I'm having a midlife crisis. It's not particularly funny. I wouldn't be laughing at that. You could have one one day yourself. Oh, the folly of youth laughing away there. Yes. Now, well, I don't wish to step on the toes of commentators at the National Broadcaster, RTE, so if you don't mind, I think I'm going to pass on this one. However, I thought I would leave you with an idea for you to reflect on, Benedict. If nature calls for the volcano, does that mean they have to go to the lavatory? (laughs) Now, you frequently hear them in the background, but I thought today it would be nice to talk to one of our live studio audience members. You, sir. Yes, you with the fetching tweed jacket. What exactly is your name? Hello, hello. My name is Eustace J. Cornwall, the Esquire. It is lovely to meet you this morning. And what do you do? Well, you know, I'm, I'm something of a filmmaker, really. Oh, now that is interesting. So what do you make? <laughs> well, uh, 19th century blockbusters. Excuse me? Blockbusters in the 19th century? <laughs> no, 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 no. I put on a canvas the, the great poems of the age. That was a 19th century equivalent of blockbuster adaptation, you know. Uh, having like, you know, like a Millet or like a Rossetti adapt your poem. I see, I see. So now let me get this straight. You are in fact then a painter. Well, you know, like I work on a broad canvas, sir. Right, but then in what way does it make you a filmmaker? 
Why, so they're all action pictures. Tennyson's Charge of the Lot Brigade. Longfellow's Paul Revere's riding... I'm sorry to cut across you, Mr Cornworthy, but we... Yes, we have to play some music now. Yes, we have to play some music because you are just... Too great a buffoon. Why don't I offer you an upward infection before the 9am Greenwich Mean Time pips? I hope your morning's going well. It is time for this week's Who Ghost There? Dear Mr. Doyle, I am at a loss to explain what is happening in my house and submit the problem to you. I continually find an empty tumbler glass and a typewriter in my study even though I do not own a typewriter. There is always a tumbler glass half full of whiskey in my kitchen beside a number of hard-boiled eggs. And I keep bumping into infuriating small round tables that just pop up unexpectedly in room after room, day after day, catching me about the midships time after time. What exactly is going on here? Yours faithfully, Ray Stannard Baker, Bakerstown. Hmm, let me just have a think now. I'm thinking... Ah, yes. Well, good morning to you, Mr. Baker. And thank you for submitting your problem to the only show on Irish radio that can solve it. In those few seconds, I carefully weighed the evidence in your case and have deduced you are getting in the way of the ghost of the well-known satirist, Dorothy Parker. Now, the best way to get Parker to go write her witticisms elsewhere is to present a more desirable locale. Whenever you see this phantom mockery of the Algorquin Hotel's round table where she entertained her vicious circle of friends, mutter how the New Yorker isn't the same anymore. And that Amy Sherman Palladino and her production company now fly the standard for literary wit. An intrigued Parker will immediately depart for greener pastures. And your problem, my friend, shall be solved. Joining me now from the Isles of Scilly is the local satrap and governor voted silliest man of the year twice, Mr. Willie Onion. And a very good morning to you, Mr. Onion, who I'm very happy to say joins me via ISDN line from the Isles of Scilly. Hello. It's a goddamn pleasure to be with you today, sir. Can't say I ever listen to you. Not my kind of thing, but if you want me to talk on your show, I'll do it. By the way, my friends, they all call me Silly Willy. You want to call me Silly Willy? No, not particularly. Now tell me, Mr. Onion, what story do you wish for me to share with my audience? I thought you'd say no. It's about a swimming pool in Poland. I don't understand one goddamn bit of it. So I'm telling you, boy, read it for me. You gonna do that, Will, are ya? Yes. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the number one silly story as voted by the Governor of the Isles of Scilly, Mr. Willie Onion. 
Well, we will have to judge for ourselves as to whether or not this story is particularly silly. My audience look a bit dubious. I understand. A silly story about a swimming pool. Could it even be possible? Let us find out. A newly opened business in Poland is offering training services for scuba divers in its 148-foot deep pool. Well, they find that rather funny. You may laugh. You may, you may, but it is the deepest swimming pool in the world. Well, that has them silent. Deep Spot, which opened its doors during the weekend, boasts a 140-foot deep pool that holds more than 280,000 cubic feet of water. <laughs> I know, it's a lot of water. <laughs> I know, I know. It's an awful lot of water. Would you believe it? Fun fact, it is the same amount as 27 Olympic-sized swimming pools. Silence. Very curious. The pool also features underwater caves. Uh, right. What would they be doing with those? Recreations of Mayan runes. Silence again. You don't find Mayan runes funny, do you not? And a shipwreck reproduction. Well, that's not funny ever. Now, the pool is designed for scuba training and will be used to train divers for the Polish Army and firefighters, officials said. It's not particularly funny, that either. The business also features a hotel with underwater views. <laughs> Didn't even finish it. Didn't even finish the sentence. And, and, there will be a tunnel for spectators to watch the divers. Also, there shall be a restaurant and several meeting rooms. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's edition of the Isles of Scilly, courtesy of the Governor of the Isles of Scilly, Mr. Willie Onion. I tried to create a piece of poetry based on the Isles of Scilly story of the week regarding the large swimming pool. I must be honest with you, it is not my best work. However, do you think we could gloss over that by just having a little bit of inspirational music as I talk? <laughs> Yes, this is exactly what I was thinking of. This morning's poetry predicament is entitled, Ah, you pool. Ah, you pool. You fool. Watch you nibble at my feet and all the people you greet as they go down and down and down and down. Until they scream, let me out. You won't allow them shout because you've gobbled them into your big 140 foot deep mouth. This morning's poetry predicament has been dealt with. And now we join the man who puts the sex in Sussex. Sir Peter Crimplesham, the first Earl of Wilmington, who joins us via ISDN line. He is currently watching a game of cricket at the moment, and he's taking the time out to speak to us so we can now go live to the United Kingdom. Good morning, Sir Peter. Hello. Hello, Sir Peter. How do we find you on this Sunday morning? Uh, very well. Uh, um, good. Good, good. Sir Peter, you yes. rang in this morning because you wanted to talk to us. 
I, 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 uh, last week I was on a program and I, I, I agreed to come on again with the explicit uh, um, guidance that you wouldn't say that I had wanted to call in. You've been bloody pestering me to come on. I don't think that's at all correct, Sir Peter. Um, well, I, I, I'm here now, so you make, make use of me or don't. Time is fleeting, etc. Oh, Sir Peter, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm rather shocked and, and appalled that you would make such an accusation. Well, anyway, I, I'm, I'm known as a controversial. I've sort of fallen into habits. Well, we must, <laughs> we must be careful because at all times we must remember to be impartial here in Dublin City FM. So I can't have you being too controversial if you are going to phone in. I'm sure you can understand that. Um, I'm partial to a lemon slice myself. Is that, is that all right? Yes, but of course it is important uh, to remember that apples are also available and you can also buy pears too. Uh, I've heard of a pear slice. It's ludicrous. Ludicrous. Yes, but Sir Peter, you're talking about pears in what I would deem a slightly inappropriate manner considering the fact that there are people out there who do enjoy eating pears. Uh, uh, To each his, uh, her, or their own. Yes, is, that, well, is that correct? Well, well, indeed, but we could make an argument for why one should eat a pear. Uh, it's not my argument uh, to make. Um, pears. Who's who's picking which? I'm right. I'm afraid I'm I can't have this are. anymore. We must have impartial conversation at all times. I beg your pardon, ladies and gentlemen. That was Sir Peter Crimblesham, the first Earl of Wilmington. I think we ought to vet these phone calls before they come on air. If I didn't know any better, I would think it is time for much review about nothing. Dear Patrick, did you know that on this day in 1890, the Meiji Constitution was first enforced in Japan? I intended marking the day with some very apropos purchases, would have been sorely disappointed. I ordered a sword which was described as having been used by the last samurai before they were abolished by the Meiji Restoration. But instead of the venerable katana, I just got a plastic prop from New Zealand that had been used in the Tom Cruise movie The Last Samurai. And that is before we come to the outrage perpetrated by the voice-activated purchase on my tablet. I thought I was purchasing a scroll depicting the signing of the Meiji Constitution. Instead, the postman delivered a picture of the Meiji signing the guest register at the stable in Bethlehem. Voice recognition technology has a way to go, yeah, Patrick. Yours disgruntedly. Oh, regard, Hinkelmeister Schmidt. <laughs> and by the way, if you wish to review anything that you've bought online that hasn't been exactly what you wanted, you can always get in touch. For much review about nothing. Now, I do hope you have a nice little cup of tea in your hand. Dressing gown on. Sitting on the sofa. I think we ought to have a fireside tale. Once upon a time, there was a young little frog. You'll be surprised to learn that he was actually bright yellow in colour with giant pink and black spots. He was a well-liked frog. Oh, wait a minute. I haven't even told you what his name is, have I? Bennett was his name. His parents named him after the very famous playwright Alan Bennett who they both were enormous fans of. 
However, Bennett the Frog didn't particularly like his name. And he complained about it all the time with all his other friends. Now don't be silly, Amos, his friend, said. Amos was a friendly red squirrel who was always a good shoulder to cry on for Bennett the Frog. Well, that's all well and good for you to say, said Bennett. You don't have a terrible name like me. This poor little frog was so upset that he didn't want to go to frog school and vowed never to return again to frog school until this name issue was sorted once and for all. All of Bennett's friends, from his mouse school colleague to his badger doctor, just couldn't shift him from this mindset until he met a new friend who arrived in the park one day. It was a pigeon by the name of Rice. What a name, thought Bennett. However did you come by that name? asked Bennett to Rice the pigeon. The proud grey pigeon was only too happy to answer. Why, it's an anagram, silly, replied the pigeon. My mother called me Eric, but I didn't really like that name so much. So I used an anagram, because I had learned all about anagrams in pigeon school. So with that anagram knowledge, I was able to create a more me kind of name. Now Bennett the frog liked the sound of this. His little froggy eyes all lit up. An anagram, he thought. Now that's an idea. How wonderful. I shall do that myself, right this minute. But because Bennett the frog hadn't been going to school, he had not learned anything about anagrams. So he depended on Rice the pigeon to help him create a new name using an anagram. The pigeon thought, and thought, and then he thought some more. And finally, he came up with an idea. Why don't you call yourself Netneb, he said. The little frog thought, and thought, and then thought some more. Yes, yes, that will do, he exclaimed. Problem solved. Only too happy to help, replied Rice the pigeon feeling rather proud of himself. And with that, Netneb, the frog, began to bounce around calling out his name so that everyone by the pond would be able to hear him. And they most certainly did. There was an awful lot of commotion by the pond. He was even looking forward to going back and telling his parents all about his brand new name. He knew his parents would be very happy to hear this news because realistically they wanted him to go back to school. So if he was happy, they were happy. But before Netneb the frog could bounce any further, Rice the pigeon stopped him. Stop right there. Now, young little frog, how do you think I learnt all about anagrams? The little frog, in his excitement, just simply shrugged his shoulders. He was too consumed with excitement over his new name. Well, said Rice the pigeon, I learnt it at school. Yes, that's right, Netneb, I learnt it at school, which is where you should be. The little excited frog couldn't disagree with that. And he told Rice the Pigeon that he would only be too happy to return to school, especially with his new name, which he was very excited to tell everyone about. He also thought to himself, Well, if anagrams are interesting, and if they teach anagrams in school, then they must be able to teach other interesting things at school too. The little frog, Netneb, was now very excited about returning to school. But most of all, he was now a happy little frog. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this morning's Fireside Tale. And that concludes this week's edition of the Sunday Breakfast Show. 
which you've been listening to or may have just missed. Now, this program was written, if you can believe it. <laughs> and I would like to say thank you to the letters that spell Fergal Casey and Matthew Kelly. So until next week or whenever, it is goodbye from me, Patrick Doyle. <laughs>